Well, good morning. If you received a handout this morning, which you should have, it's not for today's message, but it's for next week's message. It's what we've been doing in a series uh, on the life of Jesus, and we ask that you go through that during the week and to see what the Lord speaks to you as you read those passages, and you'll be more prepared for the service that's coming up the following week. One of the first full-fledged celebrities in America was a tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. In the mid-1800s, he wowed everyone. Abraham Lincoln even mentioned his name in some of his campaign speeches. It was June 30, 1859, and Blondin was attempting to cross, do what no one had ever done before. He was going to cross the Niagara Falls from New York to Ontario on a tightrope. Some records say that 100,000 people showed up. Blondin asked the crowd if they believed, that they believed he could cross. Some shout, we believe. Others say, pass the popcorn. But there he goes, crossing the 1,100-foot 1, expanse above the churning waters 160 feet below. Blondin makes it across, no problem. The crowd is abuzz. They just witnessed the impossible. So when he asked if they believed Blondin could cross the blindfolded, the crowd gets into it a little bit more. Yes, we believe. So Blondin does it. Makes it across and no problem. Blondin does it, and the third time he asked the crowd, do you believe that I could cross pushing a wheelbarrow? And it's a wobbly 1850s wheelbarrow. But he does it again. People go nuts. Women take out their smelling salts. <laughs> and finally, the Blondin pulls all the stops. Do you believe the great Blondin can cross the Niagara pushing a wheelbarrow with a person in it? <laughs> we believe, we believe, we believe. <laughs> and now, who will get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Silence. You could hear the crickets. Anyone? Hello? No one in the crowd of tens of thousands would get in, even though they said they believed, they wouldn't get in the wheelbarrow. In today's passage, we'll study the story of a certain official who had had to let go of his power and faith and get in the wheelbarrow and place his faith in Jesus. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Our text this morning is John 4, 46-53 and I'll be using the NIV version. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired into the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. 
Here we encounter a royal officer, probably a Jewish officer of King Herod, uh, his court, whose son lay sick to the point of death. He lived at Capernaum, 20 to 25 miles away from Cana of Galilee. The officer was accustomed to giving and taking orders. And he usually got the things done the way he wanted them. He would have subscribed to Pastor Randy's thorn in the flesh. I want the world the way I want it. But unlike Randy, he, did, he didn't believe, I mean, he didn't expect it to be so. This world officer heard that, that Jesus had returned to Galilee from Judea and went to meet Jesus. The man appears to be included in the crowd of miracle-seeking Jews. However, this, his need is urgent, and he persists to his request to Jesus. He begged him to come and heal his son, who is close to death. The meaning in the original Greek indicated that this royal official began to beg and kept it up. This is the imperfect tense, which means he asked and kept on asking. He didn't, take, he didn't stop and he didn't take no for an answer. The man was facing a crisis. His son was close to death. The situation was out of the father's control. He did not have the resources to resolve the crisis. All human help had been exhausted. Verse 49 reminds us, Come down before my son, my child dies. Only Jesus can save this child from imminent death. Jesus' response, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe, sounds a little harsh almost. Jesus seemed to insinuate that the official, like the others in the crowd, just wanted to see a miracle. And he, he was using this as an excuse to force Jesus to perform a miracle. On the other hand, Jesus' Jesus's words may express his hope that, this, this, uh, that, that he would be able to uh, get a genuine commitment out of this man if he prodded him a little bit. He wanted to see the man's faith advance to a higher level. Jesus had to teach the man that his word alone was enough. Belief in his word was what was going to assure his request. His power was at the nobleman's disposal if he would just believe him. Belief is to precede signs and wonders. Seeing is believing is not the Christian way. Jesus rebuked the family of Lazarus before raising him from the dead in John 11.40. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If seeing is believing, how come the Israelites doubted God's ability to provide and protect immediately after seeing him force the most powerful man in the world to his knees and then parting the Red Seas so they could pass through? How come many Jews witnesses Jesus' raising Lazarus from the death, dead after four days in the tomb, yet still did not believe? If seeing is believing, how come after Elijah stood alone against 450 prophets of Baal and defeated them through a powerful display of God's power, Jezebel dared to issue a death threat against Elijah? And more astonishing to me, that Elijah would actually run after he got that threat. After this display of power, he's running from this woman. First we believe and then we see. Miracles can only lead us to the word 
and a word generates saving faith. If one th it is one thing to believe in miracles, but it's something else to commit oneself to Jesus Christ and to continue in his word. In John 2, chapter, verses 23 to 24, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw his miracles, which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men. Belief and commit are the same words here. The faith that we see in, in this, these two verses was that a faith that arose only from a mental conviction, a head knowledge, an intellectual belief, a surface acceptance of the fact that Jesus was Savior. Theirs was also a faith that only sought Jesus for what they could get out of him, that never gave any thought to what a person might do for Christ, that was unaware of the cost of discipleship, unaware that a person had to sacrifice himself and give all he was and had to Christ in order to become a follower of his. Give us a miracle, and then we will believe. God doesn't work that way. I remember when I was a young Christian, and I always say, if I would have been Jesus, I would have done the miraculous. I would have got big crowds, and I would have converted lots of people at once and sent them on. But Jesus had a different way of doing it. He wanted to, to, to do a faith that was secure and solid. He calls us to come and follow, then he gives evidence later. Our pragmatic humanism dictates that we see the evidence and then we will respond. That is not faith. That is a reaction to the work of God. When he is going to do something, he commands that we believe, and this leads to a crisis of belief. He demands that we take him at his word and obey. The evidence will come later. These people were lacking in a deep commitment to Christ and was only looking for sensationalism. A short-lived, superficial acceptance of Jesus is not the same as an informed, long-term commitment to him. In the parable of the four soils, the second soil represents what I believe to be the same superficial, short-term commitment. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Whenever they hear the word, they receive it at once with joy, but they have no root in themselves and are temporary. Then when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away immediately. Mark 4, 16 to 17. Social analysts point out that people turn to religion in times of crisis and, and fear. The terrorist attack on 9-11 certainly shattered the stability and comfort of Americans' lives which led to a surge in church attendance and, and a sale of Bibles. But what was the lingering effect of the attack and the continued tension on people's religious beliefs and practices? According to a published study, by January 2002, just four months later, church going had returned to its pre-attack level. The individual behavioral shifts of the attacks were even less significant. The th study states, other religious behaviors, if they were affected at all, found equilibrium even more quickly. As of October 2001, one month later, Americans' engagement in Bible reading and prayer was no different than pre-attack times. The government official whose son was sick unto death was not arguing with Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. 
He does not try to defend himself. Basically, he was saying, whatever the attitude of my mind may be, you are the only chance to save my boy. Please come down or he will die. He was requesting him to come and heal his son before he was at the point of death. Verse 49 tells us that the father was persistent in his request. There's the imperative tone of urgency in his voice. Sir, please come down before my son dies. It was a crisis. It was out of control. He was desperate, and he threw himself on the mercy of Jesus. The man thinks that Jesus' presence is necessary to perform the cure. However, Jesus gives the Father only his bare words. Jesus spoke a word of authority and power. It was a healing word. That is all that was needed. It never occurred to the man that Jesus could heal his son at a distance. The power to heal lies in the person of Jesus Christ. Your son lives. The man rests his faith in Jesus alone. He has only the word of Jesus, and he rests his faith on it. What is our response when God shows us where he is at work? Do we argue with him? Do we drag our feet? Do we make excuses and use diversion tactics like the woman at the well? The royal officer saw himself as a man under command like a military officer. His attitude was not, no one is going to tell me what to do. He had an attitude of submission. He was a man under command. The man said, come. Jesus said, go. Without any hesitation, the man went home. He obeyed the command of Jesus. When God tells us what he wants to do through us, we will face a time of spiritual testing. Can I trust God to do what he said he would do? How I walk by faith is a testimony about what I believe about God. Do I believe that he will accomplish what he has chosen to do through me? What is my response when, I, when Jesus says, come? Do I follow with him? This is a crisis point where many decide not to follow what they sense God is leading them to do. And then they wonder why they do not experience God's presence the way other believers do. The man took Jesus at his word. There was no hesitation. He surrendered completely and immediately to the word of Jesus. He immediately did what Jesus told him to do. Perhaps it was the note of authority in his voice that the man was accustomed to hearing. He connected with Jesus. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Says verse 50. It was an instantaneous faith. He departed. His faith was an action. The man did not receive a word of confirmation of the miracle of healing until later. He did not wait until his son was healed before he believed Jesus. It was 24 hours later when we see the man going down the road headed to his hometown of Capernaum. The father apparently had delayed overnight, knowing and resting in confidence that Jesus was going to heal his son. That is the proof of faith. Use your imagination for a moment and catch the picture of the man on the road going to his house and, he, and the slaves are running up all excited and saying over again, your son lives, your son lives. Distance had no bearing upon the question of the power of Christ to heal the man's son. Neither distance nor time has any negative factor on what God does today. How did the man know Jesus did it? The, the timing was perfect. The, the boy did not begin to mend. He was healed immediately. The father was curious about the time when it happened. 
when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. It left him immediately when Jesus said to the man, your son will live. Jesus healed the boy. It was no accident, no chance occurrence. His timing was perfect and always is perfect. Perhaps the father thought the healing would be progressive. and That's why he asked, when did he begin to improve? However, the servants reported a complete instantaneous recovery. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live, so he and his whole household believed. Believing is seeing. It's not seeing is believing. God said go, and the man went, and he experienced God at work in his life. The confirmation came after the man believed Jesus. It is the absolute use of the word believe as when a man when a man believes Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. Here is the idea of becoming a Christian. We see the Father's faith in Christ growing. God often uses one, one current need to drive us to even more, a need that we didn't even perceive we had. We miss out on the blessings of God when we wait and look for the evidence before we believe. The royal official believed and evidenced and experienced God at work in his life. This official was probably a secular Jew or a Roman, judging by his position. The official saw a real miracle. He was not looking for a show, but for the tangible reality of a loving and caring God. His faith progressed deeper and deeper as more of Christ was revealed to him. Then he shared this with the people who were closest. If Jesus has the power of life, then he also has the power to save and the power to empower us to live our life through faith. So he and his whole household believed. Here's the first reference in the Bible of any whole household believing on Jesus. This man's faith was contagious, and he led his family to Christ. The father knows he has witnessed a miracle, and he believes along with the entire household. But haven't we already been told in verse 50 that he believed? In that passage, the official believed what Jesus said. The belief I see in verse 53 is a deeper, more informed belief, a belief in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. Faith is not a static thing, something we experience once and then remains constant. Our faith should grow as we get to come to know Jesus and his word better as we see the one who, whom we have placed in our trust is even greater than we had imagined. What can we learn from this story to help us along with our faith journey? I call it a journey because I don't think you ever arrive. It's not just a destination, it's, it's about the journey. I believe many of us become discouraged as we watch others who seemingly have it all together and never seem to waver in their faith. We can take encouragement from the Apostle Paul, as recorded in Philippians 3.12. I'm not saying that I have it all together, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert at all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. The nobleman's experience reveals the various stages of faith. 
the kind of growing faith that everyone should experience in some form or another. I want to point out too that the stages of faith are not is not a straight road. At times, while in my faith journey, I find my found myself looping and going back, sometimes taking the wrong exit, <laughs> and at times temporarily lost. Ideally, our path will begin to straighten out as we go deeper with Christ. I also want to point out that these stages of faith that I'm going to cover should not be viewed narrowly as to do the salvation experience, because otherwise I can hear your brains going, click, I'm off. It's not experience, it's not the faith that, that leads to salvation, but it's the faith that we require in our daily life. Faith is required in our daily living for provision of food, housing and necessities, healing of loved ones, keeping fair, fear at bay, giving generously in the face of layoffs, trusting God for his plan in our lives for loved ones, job security, and the boldness to witness. I'm going to cover uh, five different stages of faith that we saw illustrated in this story today. The first stage is a beginning faith. When Jesus entered the city of Cana, the official of the king's royal court approached Jesus. The actions of the man demonstrated exactly what is involved in beginning faith. There was a desperate need. There was a hearing about Jesus. And there was a coming to Jesus. The man was facing a severe disaster in his life, and he came to the only person who could help, Jesus. Note that this man had to note what he this man had to do to get to Jesus. The man had to leave the side of his dying son. The man knew he would be gone for many hours, perhaps days. Imagine the anxiety and fear that his son might die while he was away. The man would literally have to tear himself away from his son. Such an act shows how strongly he wanted to believe that Jesus could help him. The man had to travel to Jesus. Capernaum is 20 to 25 miles from Cana and almost all uphill. Imagine the concern and apprehension gripping the father's heart every foot of the way, wondering if he should have left his son's side. The fact that he persevered and kept his eyes on the hope of Jesus shows the faith of his heart. The man did not let his high position keep him from Jesus. He did not wrap himself up in pride and, and worry about what others may think of him. He went to see Jesus. The second st stage was a persistent faith. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The man was in no position to argue. He was desperate. A severe disaster had stricken his life. He believed that Jesus was the only one who could help him, and he was determined to secure Jesus' help. He cried out, Sir, come down before my child dies. Note this two significant points. The, the man did not allow Jesus' rebuke to deter him, and he kept after Jesus. The man was helped because he persisted. Persistence was absolutely necessary in securing the Lord's help. Persistence shows that one really recognizes and acknowledges his need and really believes that God can and will help. If a man ceases to ask, he shows that he does not believe that God will answer. He gives up on God 
dis disbelieving him. This man did not allow God, the Lord's hesitation to stop him. Recall the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, 1-8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain time there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. But sometime he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what other people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't come eventually and attack me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that he will see that they get justice quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The third stage was a trusting, obedient, working faith. Go, Jesus said, your son will live. Jesus granted his healing, but refused to go down with the man. Jesus was attempting to elevate the faith to a higher level. If the father had refused to return to Capernaum without taking Jesus with him, he would show that he did not believe Jesus' word. If he followed Jesus' order, he would be returning to the dying boy with no outward assurance that the boy would recover. He didn't see any sign of wonder. He was forced to make the difficult choice between insisting on evidence or exercising faith without any tangible proof to encourage him. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. The idea is that of instantaneous faith and action. He believed immediately and he turned immediately, heading home to his son. He acted on his faith. Faith sees the unseen. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Believing is seeing. Both faith and obedience were necessary to receive the promise and help of Jesus. In the Bible, to obey Christ means to believe Christ, and to believe Christ means to obey Christ. No person will obey Christ unless he believes Christ, truly believes him. A person is going to live like he wants, not like Christ says, unless he truly believes in Christ. The person who obeys Christ is the person who believes Christ. No person believes in Christ unless he obeys Christ. The person who truly believes in Christ will obey. If he truly believes that Christ is the Savior of the world, then he will follow Christ. He does what Christ says. He obeys. The point is that believing Christ and obeying Christ mean the same thing. It's not a works, it's not something that we have to do to, to demonstrate to God, but it's an outpouring of the faith that we have. To obey and act are the, to, to obey and believe are the same act. The fourth stage was a confirmed faith. Note the words while he was still on his way. He was in the act of obeying Christ when he received the news that his prayer was answered. Both of belief and and obedience was required. Note also that the man confirmed the supernatural versus the natural. He asked exactly what, the, what hour the boy recovered, one in the afternoon. He wanted to be certain. He wanted absolute confirmation 
that he, and he was reaching out for a stronger faith in Jesus. The fifth stage was a witnessing faith. The man witnessed to his whole house. He told them about the experience he had with Jesus, the word of his promise and instructions Jesus had given him, and they all believed. They, com com they committed themselves to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Witnessing for Jesus would not have been easy for this man. He was a high official who would definitely face ridicule and persecution, perhaps even loss of position or even loss of life. Even so, his fate was a witness in faith. He loved Jesus for what Jesus had done for him, and he wanted others to know Jesus' glory salvation. Needs confront every human being, including you. How are you going to react when times get when severe times come your way? You can't tell what's in a sponge until you squeeze. Who are you going to go and put your trust in? Are you going to believe the word of God? Do you need to see signs and wonders before you believe what God says? Are you going to continue in his word? Do you give up in prayer or do you persist in prayer? Are you growing in faith? Does your faith lead to obedience? P.S. to our story we opened up with about Blondin, who challenged his audience to get in a wheelbarrow if they really believed. Only two people ever did come forward years later to put their lives in the hands of Blondin's abilities. Blondin's manager was carried across Niagara Falls on his, on his back, and Blondin's nephew, who actually got in the wheelbarrow and was wheeled across. What do these two people have in common? A relationship with Blondin. A stranger never laid it out on, on the line. And that's the point of that we have to have a relationship with Jesus before our faith gets to the point where we're willing to do anything. Belief is more than just stirred up emotions. Belief is more than intellectual assent. Belief is trust, is putting our life on the line and getting into Jesus' wheelbarrow. <laughs> That's the conclusion of our message today. If, if you would like prayer today, I'm sure that we'll have some prayer warriors at the front to meet you at your need, uh, regardless of whether it's for healing, for salvation, for discussing today's message. And we encourage you to come back next week, the beginning of the Christmas story. <laughs>